And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Very excited this week. Uh, we'll have AJ Maletsko on later to break down the Islanders' trades and what's going on with them. But right now, a little look into the recent past with a guy who's a true fan favorite. We have Mr. Michael Grabner on the line. Grabs, how you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, it's very exciting to to have you here, and um, you know the Islanders are in a very different place than they were when you joined them a decade ago. But uh, I think a lot of fans still remember you from your days with the Islanders, and and when you see the Islanders now, um, you must be a little bit surprised at how much they've changed. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, I still remember my time there. Uh, we were one of the younger teams back then and uh, just seeing some of the guys how they grew into the roles they have now there and how the team kind of changed and they always seem to be up there in the standings now um, always a tough team to play against from the, in the last few years so uh, it's it's great to see like I said I have great memories from the Islander days and uh, I wish them all the best so and like I said they've been playing some solid hockey in the last few years uh, which is nice to see I'm sure the Islander fans appreciate that well, they certainly appreciated you when you came on the scene, and it, it's hard to believe it's 10 years ago now. W- what was that like for you? I know that season was kind of a weird one, you know, changing coaches and not a lot of success, but it was such an important year for you. What was it like when you came in, and how did you, how did you, how were you able to flourish that season so well? Yeah, I think for me, it was just like myself getting traded to Florida and waved and I'm picked up. So, like, uh, I had a lot of stuff going on for myself there, and I uh, wasn't really worrying too much about all the other stuff like the coaching change yeah, obviously it's tough as a team but for me I was a young guy just trying to to stick in the NHL and was kind of just focused on doing my job on the ice and uh yeah enjoying being in the NHL so it's it's it was a lot in the first year looking back now but I think when when I think about it and in that moment, you didn't really realize it because, like I said, it was my first year really fully in NHL, just trying to make an impact and um, don't get sent down again. So <laughs> I was kind of just worried about my own game and uh, helping the team scoring goals. And uh, yeah, like you said, there was so much to unpack from that year, which looking back now, it seems kind of crazy or when you talk about it. So, but I think when you were in that moment, it's, uh, there was too much going on to really realize uh, what's happening in all kind of all the corners of the organization. Was there was there a, a teammate or a coach who kind of helped you ease the transition a lot? I mean, I know you had such incredible chemistry almost right away with Franz Nielsen, um, especially as penalty killers. That was kind of a, a, a legendary year with the, what you were able guys were able to do on the PK. Was it was it Franz that helped you, or was there anybody else that that kind of we don't know about that was someone who kind of eased your transition either on or off the ice? I think it was just everyone, to be honest. Like as soon as I got in the locker room, it was like a real young team: Oki, Francie, JD, uh, JD, um, Bales. Like you know, we had such a young team. 
uh, Andrew McDonald, like this. It's just like was when I remember walking in there and it just seemed like a real good atmosphere for like a young guy coming in, right? And obviously coaches letting you play a little more and giving you a little bit more of a leash if you want to, uh, to just go out there and play your game and find your game. It's not a lot of young guys get that opportunity coming in, right? A lot of times they're stepping into teams that are already trying to win a cup or whatever and you kind of got to make an impact or you're sitting, right? So like back then for all of us young guys, we were able to just go out there and play. I know it wasn't, like you said, we didn't win too many games, but I think overall looking back and I look at the success that Bale's had, Anders Lee had, like all these guys, right? So it helped them become and establish themselves in the league. And I, talking to some guys who kind of, you know, some of the guys that you mentioned and some other, you know, lesser known guys, guys like Colin McDonald or Thomas Hickey or even Keith O'Coin, that, that 2012-13 shortened year is the one that a lot of guys look back on and say, that was the most fun, not only because um, oh. you made the playoffs, but just to have that experience of, of having the crowd go bananas at a playoff game at the Coliseum. What, what was that year like and what was that playoff series like? Oh, that was, like you said, that was probably one of the most fun years and the games I remember the most. Uh, just the first game coming home from Pittsburgh, like the first game in the in the playoffs at home. I remember stepping on the ice for my first shift and I tried to hit Malkin. I don't think he even moved like an inch because I weighed like 180 pounds back then. But just like the fans were nuts. I'm like, man, this is unbelievable. You couldn't hear on the bench. You tried to talk to the to your guy next, next to you uh, in the anthem. You couldn't hear a thing. That was probably the loudest and one of the most fun games I've ever played in my life. So, like you said, that year, if Carl McDonald is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a, yeah, we had a great team there. Like, that's memories you'll never forget. But stepping on, I remember trying to hit Malkin and he didn't move, but this, the crowd still went nuts. And it was, <laughs> that was awesome to hear. Um, you know, later on, obviously, you, you know, injuries uh, kind of slowed you down and you weren't able to, to be part of that team in 2016 that finally broke through and actually won a playoff series, but you did end up in Toronto playing for Lou Lamarillo, who now figures quite prominently in the Islanders world. Um, what kind of a transition was that to go to a team that's run by Lou Lamarillo? Yeah, obviously I just knew his name and knew a little bit about him, what guys were saying, but um, when I got traded there and I met him the first time, obviously with his shaving the beard and hair rule, but that was about it. Everything else, like he's like first class. Like he helped me and our family to get to Toronto. They did everything he could, and he would he was making sure of that. So, if you agree or disagree with his rules of shaving and grooming and all that, it's beside the point. But I think overall, like like I said, it made the transition a lot easier going to Toronto. And for myself, you mentioned it. I had a lot of injuries the last couple of years, and um, going to Toronto is a fresh start. It kind of got me like my foot back, like just foot back in the door and just play hockey again and kind of fresh start. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, I have nothing but good things to say about Lou. Uh, a lot of reporters probably don't like him. He keeps all his stuff tight to his chest. Uh, he doesn't let much seep out and uh, on information and stuff, but yeah, he's running a tight ship. So it's, it shows how why he's been, uh, been around for so long. Now, after your year in Toronto, you had a, a real rebirth with uh, a team that not a lot of our listeners like to hear about, but you were still back in the New York area. And even then, when you were a Ranger and having incredible success in your two seasons there, 
I still had lots of Islander f- fans saying, I hate the Rangers, but I love that Grabs <laughs> is coming back. What was that? What were those two years like? And, and were, were you just excited to be back in the area where you'd had your first success? Yeah, I think it was a mixture of a couple of things. Uh, I guess like the New York area was doing good for me, but uh, also having AV there, who I had in Vancouver for a short period of time and uh, Scott Arneal, right? Like he knew me from the Manitoba Moose days. So um, just going there and having coaches there that know what your game is like and you don't really have to figure it out. They knew kind of where to put me in, what what my strengths are, right? So I think that made it a lot easier. And obviously we had a great group of guys there in the Rangers too. So I haven't, I haven't really played with many bad guys on teams. So I've enjoyed all my my teammates I had over the years. So, um, but that's, that's probably the biggest thing is just having these coaches there that knew me from the past and um, made it easier to kind of get going again. And you were dealt, uh, since we just had the trade deadline pass, you were dealt at the deadline uh, that your second year in New York to the Devils, where you played alongside with some of the guys that are actually populating the Islanders roster now. Um, What was that like? I know it wasn't the most successful stay for you, but Guys like Travis Ajak and Andy Green and Kyle Palmieri, who are all kind of filling big roles for the Islanders now. What was that veteran group like? Yeah, that was a different group. Obviously, they had a lot of success that year. Um, and just going in there, I didn't have the success I wanted, but I, I'm a kind of guy. It's like for me, I'm a little bit shy meeting new people and stuff. So, like, but they made me feel welcome right away. Um, but when you're going into a team like that, it's like uh, you want to help them out, right? And you don't want to slow them down. Like I said, they had a great year. Um, and I just, yeah, I just couldn't get going. But the guys overall were great. I think uh, Palms, uh, Travis, and Andy, they, I talked to them a lot. And Halsey, too, there. So they had a great group of guys in the locker room. And, uh, yeah, we just ran into a good team there in Tampa in the, in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, I, I had a great time that I wish I was more successful and could score more goals but um, I think overall the people that I met there and uh, there's still memories that I also won't forget you know I mean you just meet so many different people over the years and um, like I said I haven't met any bad guys so far so that is good that is good uh, in, in all your years since you've been gone from the Islanders um, was there ever an opportunity to come back I mean I know that you're you're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen maybe next season um, has there ever, you know, your agent ever been contacted to to come back, or is that something that you would entertain if if you do decide to continue your career? Yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's been a weird time last year and a half, probably. I would say for most people, not just me, but uh, yeah, I'm open to anything if I decide to play. Obviously, like I said, I I love playing for the Islanders. Their fan base is uh, one of the best. There are some loyal fans like we. We didn't have too much success the first couple of years, but uh, they stuck with us. Uh, those games were fun. They were allowed. So, and obviously Lou is, uh, like I said, a, a great GM. Um, yeah, but uh, I think till then there's uh, still a long ways to go here and we'll see what happens. But I, I never say no to anything up front. So you never know what's going to happen, where, where life's going to take you, right? That's for sure. It's certainly, uh, that's certainly been true the last year so. Uh, this is great. It's great to talk to you, Grabs. Like I said, Islander fans, may, there may not be a guy that I get asked about more than you in the last few years. So uh, it's good to hear things are going well, and hopefully we'll see you back in the NHL at some point. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. And like I said, uh, for some uh, 
the most fond memories I had playing hockey. So especially that the playoff series against Pittsburgh, which I believe we should have won. <laughs> Thanks again, Grabs. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, everybody. Uh, now for our second half of the show, we're joined by uh, our usual crew. AJ Maletsko is here. AJ, welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And we'll talk about uh, the more immediate news of the week, which was the big trade that the Islanders made, which was kind of ahead of the deadline right after we recorded last week. Uh, Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac coming from the Devils for a first-round pick and some other assorted uh, smaller things. Um, what did you make of that deal? And then we also have a three-game little sample to kind of see them try to work their way in. Um, what did you think of them as Islanders so far? Uh, well, first of all, thank you to Lou, right, for doing that right after our podcast. Jeez, you think he could have been a little bit more uh, considerate and done it before so we could have talked about it. But here we are now a week later talking about it. We knew we would have something like that. Um, of course, I, I'm um, I'm thrilled with what I thought Lou, I think it's a great deal. I really do. Um, you know, you and I had talked about all different pieces and perhaps later we'll talk about, you know, Felino moving and Hall moving and all these other pieces that you and I had talked about. Um, and, but I think that the way that Lou structured this, the fact that the devils are keeping a 50% of their, their salaries, the fact that, um, you know, he brought over both of them. Travis Sajak was a surprise to me. I mean, we hadn't talked about him. I think that in a lot of ways, I, I understand the deal though. I understand the depth. I understand the versatility that he brings. Um, I think, you know, I know you know, I, I can't speak to the business side of it. I think Lou obviously has been around and been a successful GM for obvious reasons. So good on him for getting that done. And I think Isles fans have to be pretty happy um, with what he's been able to accomplish over the last week. Um, as far as the three game sample, you know, it's interesting because JG Pajot came over last year and everyone was excited because he made such a huge splash in that first game uh, against the Rangers, that, that fight that he had against Truba uh, I think it was a hit against Dal Cole that he didn't like. He went in and fought him. He scored a goal, you know, and, and he just endeared himself immediately to Islanders fans. Um, and so I think that maybe there were some expectations that these guys would come in, especially uh, Palmieri. And I thought the first two games were a little quiet. And uh, you and I were on the call with Barry afterwards, and it's no surprise that he says, well, you know, I wanted to ease him in. And you look at their minutes. I think Z Zajac, the only person who played, the only forward who played less than him was Leo uh, he was, they were both maybe around 12 minutes, if I remember correctly. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, Paul Mary was a little bit more, but trying to ease him in, trying to get them going. And um, Shannon had a chance to interview Paul Mary after he scored in the, in the Sunday's game. 
And he said, you, you know what? My focus is on the defensive structure. He said, the Islanders are famous for it. They're a really hard team to play against. I want to do my part to learn it, to get going, and the offense will take care of itself. And that's like music to Barry Trotz's ears. That's exactly what he wants to hear. Um, but as you know, as an analyst watching the game, I was impressed with them. I thought especially in the third game, I thought the fact that Zajac got some overtime uh, ice time was impressive. It shows Barry Trotz trust in him. Uh, you know, he can jump into the faceoffs. He can do all that stuff. I, I was a little surprised with the lineup. I did expect to see Paul Mary up with Barzell. Um, and I'll be curious moving forward after having a couple days of practice, a little bit more time to settle in what the lines look like on Thursday. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think they're still, they've got, what, 14 games left to kind of find an alignment that works for them. Um, you know, that Wednesday was an interesting one just because, when we recorded on Tuesday, you and I had kind of talked off air and then focused on him a little bit. We, you know, I had been hearing that Taylor Hall to the Islanders was something that was that was closer to happening than maybe anything else. And then on Wednesday night, this deal happens, and we come to find out when when Devils GM Tom Fitzgerald had his availability that night that Wednesday was the day that Travis Zajac agreed to waive his no trade clause, something he wouldn't do last year at the deadline, or he would have been an Islander a year earlier. Um, so that seemed to you know, judging by the kind of the the Monday morning quarterbacking of some of the national people and things that I'd been hearing, that it really did come down to a choice for Lou Lamarillo between uh, a package for Taylor Hall that may have been similar. I don't know if it would have been a first round pick, but something second round or a prospect to go to Buffalo, kind of what the Bruins gave up to get Taylor Hall, uh, or this group, this package, and and really. Um, you know, Zajac might have been the thing that that kind of tipped the scales for them. And it is interesting to see how he was used, you know, playing on the line with Barzell. Like you said, you would have thought it was Palmieri, but it was Zajac. And I think, um, you know, seeing and listening to what Barry said about how much he liked Leo being there for the last however many games and then trying Zajac, someone with a little bit more weight to him in terms of the defensive side, took every face off. Barzo didn't take a single face off on Sunday, which we I don't think we've ever seen. I think it was the second game in his career that that happened. So, you know, I think they're still looking for for roles. And the interesting thing to me about choosing this package over the Hall one on Wednesday is seeing what Hall went for and wondering if they had went out and gotten Hall and Buffalo kept 50% of his, his salary, which would have been $4 million and left, would have left the Islanders with some room. What else they might have done then? I mean, we'll, we'll never know. Lou will never tell us, obviously. But, um, you know, you when can you ask th- that on the next Zoom. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely – I'll just go right up to Lou and say like, hey, what, you know, just give, just tell us what you were working on. Take us through the day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in your mind, if you were staring at those two offers, uh, you know, do you think they made the right one? I do. Uh, I definitely do. And I think that so much goes into um, that more than just what we see on the ice as people who cover the team and for the fans, too. And obviously, Taylor Hall can score goals. Uh, so can Kyle Palmieri. Right. So that's what they're looking for. A lot of people, including you and I, have set a goal scorer up with Matt Barzell because he is such a playmaker. But, you know, I think the way that we've watched Jordan Everly finish you know, he's a goal scorer and yes, he goes through his droughts, but he has done a really good job of bearing the puck when he's had his chances. So if you do have somebody with some weight, as you mentioned, uh, putting Leo out there and then uh, putting Zajac in the faceoffs, you cannot undermine that. I mean, you can't, um, or underappreciate that rather just based on the fact that when they, when Matt Barzell's line or when hit the team, when he's on the ice and the team starts with the puck possession, 
they are so much more dangerous. I mean, that's true of anybody. That's that's an obvious thing to say. But when you got somebody like Matt Barzell who thrives on having the puck on his stick, um, that's really critical. Um, you know, I, I think the Taylor Hall one is interesting for me. And of course, people probably know I live in Boston, so I've followed that trade a little bit. Um, I mean, also just being in the NHL. And I think I think Buffalo got just crushed in this trade deadline. It's it's crazy to me what they had to give up um, for not enough return, in my opinion. Uh, but Taylor Hall has fully admitted. He's said in his own words that he is sort of he's he lacks confidence right now. I mean, he's only scored, I think, three goals this season for a guy that is two years removed from or three years removed from winning the heart. Um, so, you know, you put him on a better team with a little bit more depth. Um, you put him on a team like Boston, which has serious uh, skill up front. I mean, right now they're depleted on the back end, of course, too. They've got a ton of injuries to their defensemen. But if you put him up there and the focus is not on him and he's got playmakers, then maybe he will find some success. And that would, by the way, that would be true of the Islanders too. You put him, the Islanders is a great team. It's deep. But I just think for the deal, for what Taylor Hall was the bigger name than Kyle Palmieri. So from a, a, from what little I know about, I keep saying it, but the business side of it is not my wheelhouse (laughs) and it is not my job. And I do not get paid for the business side of it. But from what I understand of it, um, I do think that Lou is showing um, some real savvy in picking this deal over whatever else might have been on the table. Yeah, and we'd we'd discuss some other guys. Dustin Brown obviously didn't go anywhere from the Kings. Um, Nick Foligno did get traded for a package that was pretty uh, commensurate to the the one that the Islanders gave up for two guys. Um, and Foligno was just the one guy who went from Columbus to Toronto with a little detour to. Uh, I think it was San Jose to help facilitate some of the numbers for Toronto, and they gave up a first and a and a couple of fourths um, just to get Felino. And uh, you know, we thought that that was someone who was also a fit for the Islanders, but maybe at that you know similar price, maybe even a little bigger price that the Leafs paid because they had to have that third team involved to make the numbers work. Um, seeing what the Islanders did, kind of looked a little bit better in the in in light of those moves that happened late on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, and I, you know, I know you and I both, but I know you were ver- vocal in your that you like Nick Felino as a fit for the Islanders and I did too, you know, especially with the hole that Andrews Lee uh left with his injury in terms of the size, the grit, you know, the net front presence, all that stuff. That doesn't mean I mean, look at what Paul Murray scores a power play goal in that Andrews Lee spot on Sunday. Uh, as you've said, it wasn't the prettiest goal, but doesn't doesn't matter at all. Just get that first one, and hopefully, get more will go in. Um, and that's a, I think that's a good point that if it's a similar return, I mean, a similar uh, exchange in terms of what you're giving up, then the fact that you're getting two players and, and you get Zajac, who is so experienced, and you get these guys who know the area, they don't have to leave their homes. I mean, there's all these little things that go into it that sometimes we don't think the management has to think about, but. They do because they want to make sure it's the best fit overall for the human being, for in the locker room, for all these little things that, you know, obviously the Andy Green piece was a big one. They know him so well. They played a tremendous amount of games together as New Jersey Devils. So they've got that. It makes the segue a lot easier. They're within division. So they know the opponents. Um, You know, I'm doing the Flyers Washington game tonight and interesting um, when you look over there and you look at all the, the trades that have happened over there and looking at what like Anthony Mantha, for example, coming, that was the big trade coming over from Detroit, but he's, yeah. and he's excited about seeing new faces, new opponents, but I think he's trying to spin it. That's a lot more challenging. He's got to do a lot more work. He's got to do more video. Whereas you look at these guys, they just got to drive up from New Jersey and they go in and it would have been different with Felino. So again, I really like Nick Felino. It's a big pickup for I mean, I think the Leafs went all in with what they did. 
Um, and they are they are really gearing up for a long run. Uh, and they're adding, you know, some defensive minded people, too, which I think they need up in that north coming out of that north division. Uh, but I think that, again, what Lou did um, was fantastic. And we can't uh, forget the the one deal that they did make late on Sunday, which kind of messed up some some <laughs> particular writers work as I was just finishing up late after the game on Sunday when they won it <laughs> overtime. Again, uh, not very considerate. But no, I guess no. Yeah. And I and I had frankly. Uh, Covering a team with a with a general manager who's in his seventies, I expected earlier <laughs> in the day decisions, but that's the way it works. Uh, they did get Braden Coburn, uh, a veteran of about thirteen or fourteen NHL seasons, for uh, a nothing return, a two thousand twenty two seventh round pick um, from the Senators. He hasn't played a whole lot this year. He's thirty six. He won a Stanley Cup uh, playing uh, in a in a again a supplementary role for the Lightning last year. Um, and we had sort of expected that they would make uh, a, a less splashy move to add some depth on defense just in case. And I think hearing Lou talk uh, on Monday about that deal, and, and really it was sort of obvious when uh, even when Thomas Hickey stepped in and played well, that um, I think you go back to game six against the Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, where you had Leo Komarov as the fourth line center because Casey Zizekas was out. You had Noah Dobson playing his first game in months because Adam Pellick was out. You just need more guys. And Braden Coburn's a guy who's got a lot of experience in a Stanley Cup ring. And I don't know if he's really going to be expected to really play any game, any role at all other than being a practice guy. But you need somebody just in case sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I think that Barry Trotz has alluded to that when Thomas Hickey stepped in and he said, you know, we need these guys to be ready to go. And he said, we need some depth. If you want to make a long playoff run, and he, he referenced Johnny Boychuk going down up in the bubble last summer, and he referenced Casey Zizekas. He said, obviously, all of that's unpredictable. And you mentioned Adam Pellick, that freak injury that he had to his Achilles last January. Um, all this stuff, you never know what's going to happen. And so you need those guys in the lineup, right? Whether it's going to be, a you know, Andy Green was brought in potentially as one of those guys. And with Johnny Boychuk out, he had a regular role in Dobson and all those different things that happen. So I like the move too, because he's coming from Ottawa, um, but he, you almost don't count that he's uh, hasn't played every game. I mean, you do count it, but my point is that he's coming from Tampa Bay, as you mentioned, being on a team that, that has a culture of winning and a culture of success and having won the cup so recently, that does a lot for a team. He comes in and he knows what it takes to go. He knows what it takes to win. He's, he also knows the Islanders, right? I mean, they played in the Eastern Conference final six games. Uh, so he knows what he's getting into. Uh, so I think that that's, he's a big guy too. He's six foot five, um, gives them some range on the back end. Uh, so there's, there is something, you know, Scott Mayfield's a, the, he's six foot five. So you look back, you have some, some, some heft, you know, we're talking about weight on the top line. What about defensively? So, I thought that was a good move. It was interesting. I didn't expect it. Um, and as you said, it was after the game, the news came through. And uh, and I think that Barry Trotz was, who knows, but I think he's got to be thrilled that he's got some cushion. I don't expect him to waver off those top six for the most part. Um, you know, they were the only team for some time, I think into March maybe, that had only dressed the same six, four, uh, six defensemen rather. Um, so he was riding them pretty far into the season and then was forced to to change it up a little bit and that worked for them too. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So deadline is finally done and AJ, you don't have to humor me by speculating about who could go where anymore, which you, I'm, I'm sure you're very, ha- very happy about. And like, as you alluded to, um, the teams that are, you know, the, the, the teams you expect to be the four playoff teams in the East all made moves. Islanders went first with Palmieri and Zajac. Pittsburgh got Jeff Carter from LA. Um, Boston obviously got Taylor Hall and Mike Riley from Ottawa for, for some draft picks. Uh, and Washington, as you mentioned, probably made the, the, the most hockey trade of them all, trading Jacob Vrana, who was a big contributor to their cup run a couple of years ago, um, and a couple of high picks to Detroit for Anthony Mantha, who's a, a big rangy young winger. So everybody is participating in this arms race in the East, and it's really competitive. Do you think the Islanders are still you know, the leader of the pack there. They're the kind of the reigning division champions. I know the division looked different last year, but they were the team that came out of that uh, that scenario, you know, beat Washington, beat Philly in the playoffs, got to the semifinals. Do you feel like with the teams kind of fully set now, can they do it again? Well, yeah, I do. And I also think that for these players on all teams, not just the Islanders, but the trade deadline comes and goes, and it's a bit of a relief because they, you know, it, and I was on the Zoom with Anthony Mantha this morning, and he said he was asleep for his pregame nap yesterday, and he slept through the call from Steve Eiserman, and he woke up to a text, call me ASAP. Had no idea he was getting ready for the game, right? And then he gets the call, You're by the way, car serv- we're in Carolina, uh, car service is waiting for you to take you to Washington. Uh, you just got traded. So these guys, there's there's uh, some of them, there's this question mark leading up to the tra- trade deadline for them personally, but also then for their teammates, right? You mentioned Jacob Rana. Going away, TJ Oshie was talking about how close they were and how hard that is to see teammates go on a trade. So, you know, I think there's that. And then there's the relief of this is our squad. This is our team. Let's get down to work. This is now, you know, 14, however many games left in the season, depending on which team you are. And then get gear up for the dig in your heels for the playoff run, right? So there's a there's a sense of let's get down to business. Maybe a little less so this season, only because playoff hockey started so much, playoff style hockey started so much earlier in a shortened season. Um, but I really like the way the Islanders were built even before the trade deadline. And I think the fact that they didn't have to, you know, there was a lot of speculation that they would have give they would give up a Leo Komarov or they would give up some of these other pieces and they didn't. So here they are with um, with the team that we've seen. And then you add these elements that I think are are maybe more subtle than, a, well, I guess not with Kyle Palmieri, but more subtle than a Taylor Hall ad. Um, but they, they really do bring a lot to the team. Um, so, I, I like where they are. I think that it's still going to be a, a race just jockeying to the finish with the Capitals because I really like the moves the Caps made too. I mean, those are big moves. And, and Vrana had been a healthy scratch for two games. Like there was some something going on behind the scenes between him and the coaching staff from from the reports that I was hearing. 
Um, so, and who knows what that, what they were. Um, and so it's, it's sort of, they made good moves. I think that you look at Pittsburgh, you can never count Pittsburgh out and they've had so many injuries that when they start getting healthy, they're going to make a push. I actually thought Philly, Boston was in danger, was sort of in a precarious spot. I thought Philly might make a push to, that would be an interesting jockeying for that fourth spot. I think with the Taylor Hall trade that, and the fact, I know that Flyers locked up Scott Lawton, but for the most part, they didn't make any other moves. Uh, so I think that they've been too inconsistent to really make a push for that last spot. But from an Islanders perspective, I like where they are. And I, I think that it's a very good chance that they will be lockstep with Washington uh, to the end of the season. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, when I was talking about this uh, on on a different a couple of fans that I know their podcast the other night. Um, it's natural for Islander fans to have some fear of this upcoming postseason. Um, they have some bad playoff memories in recent years with the Capitals from a few years ago, with the Penguins regular season and playoffs, the dominance that Sidney Crosby's had on the Islanders for many years, it seems, uh, and they. Yeah, you know they're five and zero against the Bruins this year, but they—I don't think they won five games total in the last five years against the Bruins. Maybe even longer than that. So, I get the hesitation, but I think when you look at each team's active rosters now, um, maybe the Islanders up front are, are not quite as deep or as skilled as some of these other teams. But would you take Washington or Pittsburgh's defense over the Islanders' defense core? Absolutely not, and it's certainly not Boston's, considering how decimated they are. Bruins are missing their two, their number one and number two goalies. They're using a couple of kids right now. Pittsburgh's goaltending has been eh. Washington has won, you know, they've gotten some good performances from their goalies, but it's also a pretty untested group. And then you have the Islanders who probably have, I would take either of their goalies over maybe any of those other three teams' goalies. So if if defense and goaltending is what gets you far in the playoffs, it's hard to bet against the Islanders right now. It is. You know, and I was gonna I was gonna ask you what you how you thought Barry Trotz was going to play as goaltenders going into the playoffs. Cause it really looks like it was a Varlamov show for a while. And then it, he's it seems to be alternating. He's, he's really showing trust in Sorokin, but the last two years, he's liked to have a goalie go into the playoffs, right? He likes to have a starting goalie that he can trust. And, and I think that of those four teams that you're talking about, I will say, I think Washington goalies have been really good. Uh, I I think that they, they've surprised people because they were so untested and inexperienced. Um, and I think the, so the expectations were not as high on them. Uh, and then of course the news came out recently that Lundqvist is done for the season uh, with his heart issues that are going on. So they are going to have to lean on those guys and they have been good, but what happens when they get to the playoffs and the pressure, the stress, or just the physical strain uh, going back and forth uh, between them. So I do, I think of those four teams, absolutely Islanders win the goalie battle. I really like their defensive core, especially when they play within the structure that Barry Trotz set up. I think there's some of the time, like last week, Thursday and Friday, I know they won on Thursday against Philly, but I didn't think they played well either game. And no, I thought the right. biggest problem was their, not their defense, not their six defensemen, but their defensive zone. When they got into trouble, they were just standing around. And they the layers that we've talked about ad nauseum since Barry Trotz came around, they were nowhere to be found. So, you know, and I drew that up in one of our pregame shows, basically watching them just stand around. They're just get, all of them are puck watching. They're doing that stuff. So when they play to the system, They've got the personnel that I would take over all of those other teams. Now, that's I'm not trying to. Obviously, those other teams have tremendous talent, but I'm I'm just saying as a whole, if you take the teams, I think that the way that the Islanders are built, they're built for a long run. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and it it still amazes me that we're just 
less than three full years into the into the Lamarillo Trots era, and we're talking about you know, hey, the Islanders are the favorites to you know they they've got the best goaltending, they've got the best defense. Not the scenario that anybody would have envisioned when those two guys came in um, three years ago that that this would be a team that's already established itself and. Whether or not they get the respect around the league is is sort of immaterial at this point. They 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 are good. When I started uh, working with the Islanders with MSG Networks in the fall of 2018, which was the same time that Barry and Lou came on board, the number of people not affiliated with the Islanders that would ask me, they're you know that they seem actually better this year, and you know, and I'd say something about playoffs, and they would look at me and be like, "You really think they're going to make playoffs?" I mean, there was so much. They were like incredulous that I would think that they would make playoff and then they get playoffs. They go on, they not only make it, they sweep the penguins in the first round. Of course, then they got swept, but it was, you know, now if they, the expectation nationally is everybody sees how good they are. Nobody's writing them off anymore and nobody is considering them the underdog. Yeah. It's uh things have changed. And especially at the trade deadline now it's two years in a row that Lula Amarillo is, is basically going for it. So it's uh it's different. It's exciting. And we'll see what the last 14 games of the regular season brings. So thanks as always, AJ, and uh, enjoy your uh, trek down to my area here in Connecticut for some Caps Flyers tonight. I will. Thanks for having me. And then I'll uh, be back on, back on the call for after the three days off for the Islanders game Thursdays and fr- Thursday and Friday. All right. And we'll be back with you all next week. Thanks again for listening. Just remember, uh, wherever platform you listen on, Apple, Spotify, Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating. We can always use it. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, check out theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont for a good deal to sign up. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next week.